Good? Hey, I got some good news for you. Good news is we're going to leave the wilderness tonight. Uh, usually I have good news, bad news. I don't know what to do if I only have good news. So, Good news is that we're going to finish up the book of Numbers. Remember the book of Numbers, as we take a look at it, the book of Numbers is called Bemidbar in the Hebrew, which means the wilderness. And as we look at the book of Numbers, one of the lessons that we want to take from it as we go through it is simply that many times we we leave ourselves in the wilderness. Remember last week as we began to, to share about the, the two and a half tribes, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, the half tribe of Manasseh, that they came to a point where, where they had gone as far as they wanted to go with the Lord. The, the Lord had more for them. The Lord had the promised land. The Lord had this incredible adventure awaiting. But they made a decision last week that this is as much as I want. I'm satisfied. I'm comfortable in this relationship that I have. And I think a lot of us find ourselves in that same place where we say, well, I'm comfortable with what I have. I'm comfortable with what I know of the Lord. I'm comfortable with where I am. And Hebrews tells us there's a danger in not progressing. That means we reach a point where we we aren't growing, we're not going on with the Lord. And I think part of that we talked about last week is a desire we have. I shared, I have the same desire. I have the same thing in my life where I think at some point the battle stopped. And it was uh, disconcerting and eye-opening for me to see Moses having battles all the way to the end. And I think we have to get a mindset that says, you know what, life is battle after battle until we see Jesus Christ. There's always, there's not a point where the battle's over, we've won, and there's nothing we have to deal with anymore. We're going to deal with things all the way to the end. We see that in the life of Moses. We see it in the life of Jesus. We see it in the life of Paul. We see it in the life of Peter. You pick, you pick the guy. You see it in the life of James. Over and over and over again. Now, it doesn't mean life was always bad and always hard and there was never good. The Jewish people learned to do something you and I have to learn to do. You and I, we spend the majority of our life as window shoppers. And we need to learn to be inventory takers. A window shopper is always looking at whatever that next thing is. I do that all the time. All the time. There will be something. I, I have lots of things. But when I go by that store, I look in a window or I see something on sale. Man, I want that. I'd like to have that. Not because my collection is not complete. But it would be more complete if I could add that to my collection. If I could have this thing that was on sale or that thing was on sale. Or, or I could add this thing to my life. And we spend a lot of our life as window shoppers. God wants us to learn, I think, to be inventory takers. We look at the life we have in in, in, an example of our spiritual life and we say, God, I want this, this issue in my life or this battle that we're fighting or this This trial that I'm going, Lord, I want you to deliver me through this trial. And we forget to take inventory of what God's already given. 
And that was something that the Jewish people learned to do very early. To count their blessings. And so they did something, I I think it was called the Duomo, which means it is enough. And when they would recite this counting of their blessings, it would be, if all the Lord did was, was create us, it would be enough. If all the Lord did was create us and provide for us, that would have been enough. If all the Lord had done was to call us out from among the, the, the people and make a nation for us, that would be enough. And they go through every aspect of life reciting that if that was all God had done for us, it would be enough. We need to learn to do that. Because we forget to look back on the past blessings. We forget the blessing of salvation, Christ dying on the cross for us. We, we, we understand it. I'm not saying that we don't appreciate it, but we forget to count that into what God has done in our life and the inventory that we have in a relationship with Him and we're looking at the next window and we're frustrated or angry waiting for God's deliverance and we don't have that attitude of gratitude that says, you know what, God, thank you for everything that got me to this place. And if that is all I receive, it's enough. I mean, how much is enough? What is, what is the point in which we look to the Lord and say, you know what, God, you have given me enough. If I don't receive another thing, it's enough. When we have the attitude that sees all of the wonderful blessings that God has given, that he has bestowed upon us, it changes our attitude. And when our attitude changes, do you realize everything that we're looking at changes too? When my attitude is, I just want one more thing, then I often am a little spoiled baby until I get that one more thing. Whatever that one more thing is. And I think we need to learn to count the the blessings that God's given us. And to to stop looking ahead and forgetting. That's why over and over again you'll notice that God tells His people, build a memorial. Make this a, a feast day. And when your children ask you, Dad, why are we having a feast day today? You tell them the story about what God has done for you so far. And they learned to do that all through their life so that they would hopefully be inventory takers. That's what we have to be. God's done a lot. If I stop and I'm honest about the incredible blessings that God gives to me every single day that I take for granted. The, the beautiful sunrise and sunset. The incredible place God has brought me. The, the fact that I am... In really, if I had to sit down and, and draw out uh, where my dream place to live uh, would look just like Idaho, only I didn't know that until I got here. You know, I mean, there's so many things that, does that mean that life is, is not, doesn't have its challenges? No, sure it does. But if I spend all my time focused on that next challenge, 
I forget about the blessings that God has already given me to date. And I start to think that the, the key to my happiness and success is overcoming this challenge. But I said that the challenge before. The trial before that. The trial before that. Keep in mind, were the, are those trials ever going to go? The, James said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Because trials have a work that they accomplish in our life, right? They have a work. They build up our faith. They add to our faith. And we're going to talk about that tonight. The things that we need to add to the relationship, the, the inventory that God's already given us. So we always want to be able to continue on. We don't want to stay in the wilderness. But while we're in the wilderness, we want to take up inventory of the blessings that we have. And not make our only focus, our main focus to be the challenge we're in now. The struggle we're in now. And we have a lot of folks within our church family who are going through difficult times. We have the Reynolds family as Jeannie continues her battle with cancer. And uh, in dealing with chemo and the effects of chemo for the you know, next several months you know as as she's going to be doing dealing with those things now if the if Jeannie and her family if their only focus is on overcoming this challenge and they're not encouraged by God's hand and provision in the past it's easy to lose heart in the midst of your storm isn't it but you notice something about Jeannie if you spend any time talking to her right now the first thing she's going to want to know is how you're doing She's going to tell you she's doing great and that God is delivering and that her faith and trust is in him. Why? Because she's an inventory taker. God has brought me safe thus far and I will trust him all the way to the last breath. I'm going to trust him. The overall focus isn't on this current challenge. The focus is on the victories of the past. And because I've had victories in the past, God's going to carry me through this. We have Stacy and, and Corey in, uh, in, uh, in Oregon. Stacy had a, a, a pretty uh, in-depth surgery. And as a result of that surgery, her bladder uh, is not functioning like it should and her bowels aren't functioning like they should and so she cannot leave the hospital until that changes yep and janet janet's surgery went really good today so that's good news a lot of people didn't know she had surgery but she did and she did well she didn't want a lot of people to know about, about her surgery but she's doing well and and the recovery is expected to be well but with Corey and Stacy, they if their focus is only on the journey that they're the battles that they're fighting right now, it's easy to lose heart. Well, we want to be home. They don't want to be in Oregon. They went to a specialist in Oregon, but you know sometimes the journey of our life takes unexpected turns and twists. And so we're in Oregon and we're facing this, and they love to have the the body their church family support and people visiting them but they we can't because they're a long ways away so what can we do we can pray 
We can pray that they're strengthened. We can pray that they have support. We can pray that God continues to do his healing. But what's carrying them now is not the battle they're in now. It's the, the battles that they've come through already. And the attitude of God has been there for me then, He will be there for me now. We've got to learn to be inventory takers. As soon as we make our entire focus a storm, we know what happens, don't we? What happened to Peter? I mean, he's having the the most radical day of his life. The most radical moment of faith, right? He's walking on the water with Jesus. But what happens when the storm is his only focus? He sinks. He loses heart. And he cries out, Lord, save me. Now, does God punish him because he sunk and he had his focus on the storm? No, he doesn't. Jesus is right there picking him up and saying, Peter, why did you doubt? Be an inventory taker. Remember the promises of God. Jackie, why are we studying through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch? We're going to have the Pentateuch done in another couple of months. The first five books of the Bible will be in the books. We will have studied the Torah. We will have gone through it all. And, and some people lose heart in the study and say, you know, I'll see you Sunday. Because <laughs> Sunday is exciting. But when we go through the the Torah, what are we learning? How God's been there. We're learning to be inventory takers. We're learning to look at what God has done. What did did Paul use in 1 Corinthians chapter 10? He used the book of Numbers. He said, look at these guys. Look at where they failed. Look at where they stumbled. Learn the lessons of how God delivered them. Hold on to the promises of God for the battles we have yet to face in our life now. The challenges that we have. Hold on to those things. So the challenge for us tonight is be that. Be an inventory taker. Look at what promises God is laying out for us in these three chapters we're going to look at tonight. And recognize that the words on the page was not written for someone else. Paul said these things are written for our admonition on whom the end of the age has come it's for us to remember to learn chapter 34 you ready numbers 34 verse 1 then the lord spoke to moses and said command the children of israel and say to them when you come into the land of canaan this is the land that will fall to you as an inheritance the land of canaan to its Boundaries. Your southern border shall be from the wilderness of Zin along the border of Edom. And your southern border shall extend eastward to the end of the Salt Sea. Salt Sea. So we're talking about the Dead Sea. The southern border going to this point. What we're going to see is God's going to lay out the borders of the promised land. The borders of the land that they inherited from God. You know you have an inheritance from God, right? Uh, Paul said that we have been adopted. And in that adoption, we can call God what? Abba Father, right? We can call Him Abba Father. It's a term of endearment. It's a, it's a close relationship. He says that we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. That we have inherited from the Lord something. 
There's an inheritance that we have from God. Jesus told us, I believe that inheritance is the abundant life. How much of that abundant life can we have? As much as we're willing to possess. Here's the gift. We've got to learn to walk in that gift. We've got to receive that gift. And the Lord would lay out for us through the book of Joshua, wherever you put the sole of your foot, I've given it to you. What you are willing to possess, you can have. The promise of God here in the book of Numbers is 300,000 square miles. At the best, the zenith, the height of Israel's fame and fortune under David and Solomon, they possessed 30,000 square miles. How come they didn't have it all? Because they, they got tired of the battle. They get tired of the battle. They want peace. They want to stop. And so as we progress with the Lord, when we say, I'm done with the battle, I don't want battle, I want ease. I mean, come on, I have said the same thing. I want to go back to when I was just another person, a a normal guy. I could sit in the back of church. I could show up on Sunday. I could do things all week long. Nobody expected anything else out of me. There was nothing else going on. I want to go back to that. I can't go back. There is no going back. Going back means I'm losing ground. There's another word for going back. It's called backsliding. I don't want to go back. I mean, I, I want the battles to stop. I want the, 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 the day after day after day feeling like sometimes there's just another piece of bad news, another struggle, another thing. And I had to, in my mind, switch it over and say, no, I want the next battle. I want to be Caleb. I want to be Joshua. I want to say, bring it on. Bring on the next one. Why? Not an an attitude of pride that says, I'm able, but I know He is able. He is able to do abundantly uh, beyond what I can ask or imagine. And I don't have to be afraid. I want to have everything God has for me. And to experience everything God has for me, that means I must walk through the storms. I will go through the valley of the shadow of death. But when I do, what did the psalmist say? I will fear no evil. Why? Because I'm so wonderful? No. Why do I fear no evil? Because it changes, the pronoun changes, because you are with me. That's, if we want what God has for us, folks, if we want, then we have to realize there is no retirement, there is no day off, there is no step away from the battle. We've got to change our attitude, we've got to be inventory takers, and we've got to say, I, the, bring the next one on. That's, this is how this life is. From storm to storm. What does that mean? That makes me look forward to the rest. What's the rest? My, my rest is Christ. What's my Sabbath? Sabbath is the rest. My Sabbath is Jesus Christ. As a believer, He is my Sabbath. He is my rest. What is it that He said when we stand face to face with Him? He would say to us, 
Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest, your master's happiness. It is your master's good pleasure to give unto you the kingdom. That God has a purpose and a plan, but this place that we find ourselves in is not the place to, to be lax. Think about Joshua's life, who's going to bring the children of Israel into the promised land to begin the, 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 the battle. What, what was that? When they walked across the Jordan River, was it all just, you know, roses? Everything was easy? What was the, what was the first battle? Jericho. What's the second one? Ai. What happened in Ai? They lose. Oh my goodness. You mean I lost in the promised land? Yeah, sometimes we lose, don't we? But the point is, they went from one battle to the next battle, to the next battle, to the next battle, to the next battle, until the conquest for Joshua's part was complete. And Joshua said to the children of Israel, you guys have to make a decision. Who are you going to serve? Are you satisfied with where you are? As for me and my children, we will serve the Lord. What book comes after Joshua? Judges. What happened in Judges? They got satisfied where they were at. They stopped moving forward. They found themselves in captivity, being delivered in captivity, being delivered in captivity, being delivered. Do you ever feel like that's where we're at? Like we are trapped in Judges? Well, what's the difference between Judges and Joshua? In Joshua, the people were stepping out to possess. In Judges, they're just trying to maintain. Didn't work out so well. We want to always be moving forward, progressing. What else do you have for me, Lord? As he lays out these these boundaries, these borders to the promised land. Listen, God has borders and boundaries for you and I. One of the things I love about the prayer of, of Jabez is the part in the prayer where he says, expand my territories. What was Jabez saying? I want more. In our prayer life, that should be our prayer to the Lord. God, I want more whatever you have. I want more of you. I want more of your peace, more of your strength, more of what I need for the battles that we face. I want to possess everything that God has for me in this life. We want to have whatever he has for us. 300,000 square miles. Right now, today... Israel is 7,000 square miles. That's pretty small. It's a pretty small area. As we look at this, God's plan was for them to be, much, to, to be much more. Now, will God's plan happen? Yeah. When, God, when Jesus Christ rules and reigns, guess what? Israel's going to have the borders. These borders that God's talking about. He said in verse 6, As for the western border, you will have the great sea for a border. That's the Mediterranean Sea. And this shall be your northern border. From the great sea, you will mark out your border line to Mount Hor. From Mount Hor, you will mark out your border to the entrance of Hamath. 
Then the direction of the border shall be towards Zedad. The border shall proceed to Ziphron at the end of Hazar Enon. This shall be your northern border. You will mark out your eastern border from Hazar Enon to Shepham. The border shall go down from Shepham to Riblah on the east side of Ain. The border shall go down and reach the eastern side of the Sea of Chinnereth. The border shall go down along the Jordan, and it will end at the Salt Sea. This will be your land and its surrounding boundaries. And Moses commanded the children of Israel and said, This is a land which you shall inherit by lot, when the Lord has commanded to give to the nine tribes and to the half tribe. Now how many tribes do we have total? Twelve tribes. But two and a half tribes have already settled, right? So the division of the promised land will be between nine and a half. What's the half? The other half of Manasseh, right? The other half of the tribe of Manasseh who said, we don't want to settle. We want to enter into the promised land. For the tribes of the children of Reuben, according to the house of their fathers, and the tribe of the children of Gad, according to the house of their fathers, have received their inheritance. They settled. And the half tribe of Manasseh has received its inheritance. The two tribes and a half tribe have received their inheritance on this side of the Jordan across from Jericho eastward toward the sunrise. So the Lord is going to speak again to Moses about how to divide the land. The concept is that the land is going to be divided among the other nine and a half tribes equally by size. So based on the size of the tribe and the area of the tribe, that's how much land they're going to get. And under God's rules, they could never lose one inch. They might have a possession and go through a period of time and they've got to, they've got to sell off that land. What happened at the year of Jubilee? The land went back. You never lost it. So Israel could never be bought out by a foreigner. <laughs> the, 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 China cannot own it like it owns us or Japan, or anybody else, because the land never passed out of the hands of the families, the tribes. It would always come back. This is how it would be divided in verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, These are the names of the men who will divide the land among the inheritance. Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun. Eleazar, remember the son of Aaron, he's now high priest at Aaron's death. And Joshua is going to be the leader of the children of Israel at Moses' death. These are the two guys who are going to do the division. And you will take one leader of every tribe to divide the land for the inheritance. These are the names of the men. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of the children of Simeon, Shemuel, the son of Amalhed. From the tribe of Benjamin, Eladad, the son of Chislam, a leader of the tribe of the children of Dan, Buki, the son of Jogli. From the sons of Joseph, a leader from the tribe of the children of Manasseh, Hanaliel, the son of Ephod. And the leader of the tribe of the children of Ephraim, Kemuel, the son of Shiftan, a leader from the tribe of the children of Zebulun, Eliphazan, the, the son of Parnach, a leader from the tribe of the children of Issachar, Paul Tiel, the son of Azan, a leader from the tribe of the children of Asher, Ahichud, the son of Shilomai, the leader of the tribe of the children of Naphtali, Pedahel, the son of Amichud. These are the ones the Lord commanded to divide the inheritance among the children of Israel in the land of Canaan. God picks the leaders. 
he chooses the leaders of each of the tribes that are going to be able to receive the inheritance. Do you understand how much of a guarantee this makes it? These guys are still on the east side. Jericho's in the distance. They haven't crossed over the Jordan River. And God has said, you, 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 you. You guys are going to be the ones who will draw lots for what area within the land you possess. And the size of your area is going to be dependent upon the size of your tribe. How many people? The more people, the greater the section will be. The less people, the less the section will be. So that the land will all be divided. God's making this guarantee. Guys, there's a guarantee for you and I. Now, when they had the promised land, you have the abundant life. It's a guarantee. You have the abundant life. Already given. Are we walking in the victorious Christian life? Have we crossed over the Jordan River, which speaks of that baptism or uh, anointing of the Holy Spirit working in a, a believer's life to provide for all the things that we need? Are we satisfied on this side of the Jordan River? Are we satisfied with what we have? If we want more, all we have to do to have more is ask. It's very simple. What is it that, that Jesus said? He said, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? You don't have to do anything? Nope. Ask. Ask. What is it Jesus said? Ask and it will be given. Seek and ye shall. Knock and it will be open. Man. God just wants us to what? Be pressing in. Pressing into our relationship with Him. That He's central. That what He has for us is the driving force in our life. It's why I go to work in the morning. It's why I do what I do. It's why I do what I do where I do what I do. Wherever we work, wherever our sphere of influence is, you know that God wants you to have ministry in that place, right? That's the place God's given we can always say, well, you know what? I will serve the Lord as soon as God gives me uh, this ministry, or I get to be full-time, or I get to be a preacher. Those things will never happen until we utilize the gifts God's given us where we're at. Then more doors may or may not open. But this is where God wants me to serve right now. I can be an inventory taker and say, God's already done so much for me, man. I need to be busy about what God's done for me. Or I can constantly be looking forward and saying, why don't I have that yet? Why don't I possess this yet? Man, I, I want to be thankful for what God has given. And I want to possess everything that God has. In order to do that, it's so simple, it's scary. I got to ask. I got to ask. I want more of you. I want all that you have. I want to be your voice, your hands, your feet in this situation. Among these people in this sphere of influence that I have. I want to put my foot. I want to possess the inheritance. I want to possess all that God's given me. Well, in chapter 35, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, In the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Command the children of Israel that they give the Levites 
cities to dwell in from the inheritance of their possession. And you shall also give the Levites common land ground around the cities. Now the Levites have no inheritance, right? Why? Their inheritance is God. He is their inheritance. We are a kingdom of priests, aren't we? Much like the Levites. We, our inheritance is Him. What are we looking forward to receiving? Jesus Christ. Seeing Him face to face. Filling His arms around us. Saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Being in His presence for all of eternity. That's the ultimate prize. What is it that Paul said? Keep your eye on the prize and keep walking. Keep marching. Keep moving forward. Keep your eye on the prize and press on. Press on. So this, is, this wants to be our attitude, but listen, God gave to the Levites land. We're going to see 48 cities. God gives them 48 cities all spread throughout the land of Israel. Why? So there will be a godly influence everywhere throughout the land. The Levites would be within every tribe so that they could, in that area, minister to the people that God had placed them. Maybe they weren't high priests. Maybe they weren't working at the temple. But they were teaching God's people about what God had done for them. For each of us, God has placed us in that same kind of a concept. They had a land and common land around the city. The common land is the pastures where they could keep their flocks. They shall have the cities to dwell in, and their common land shall be for their cattle, for their herds, and for all their animals. The common land of the cities which you give the Levites will extend from the wall of the city outward a thousand cubits all around. Okay, 500 yards square. And you shall measure outside the city on the east 2,000 cubits, on the south side, 2,000 cubits. On the west side, 2,000 cubits. On the north side, 2,000 cubits. The city shall be in the middle. This shall be uh, belong to them as their common land for the city. So they got a 1,000 yards square. And then you have 500 yards square. So you have a little square in the center that's the city. A bigger square around the outside, which provides all the pasture land for their animals. And that land was given to them out of whatever tribe they were living with. Each tribe would give some. There was going to be 48 cities all together. Now among the cities in verse 6, you will give to the Levites, you will appoint six cities of refuge to which the manslayer may flee, and to these you will add 42 cities. So 42 and 6 equals? 48, good. So we have 48 cities total for the Levites, Six of them are unique. Six of them are called cities of refuge. The cities of refuge are going to be three on one side of the Jordan, three on the other side of the Jordan. When you look at how they're separated on the map, you will see that there is no mountain to climb over, no river to cross to get to a city of refuge. They were one day's journey from anywhere. Wherever you were, you were one day's journey from a city of refuge, to be able to arrive and find that place. And what was the city of refuge for? The city of refuge was for the manslayer. Listen, you realize that in the ancient world, there was no police force, right? Families were the police. 
If you did something and hurt someone else, then they would do something to get you back. The Bible, the Lord in his uh, revelation and revealing of himself to his people, he told them eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Why? Because it's a law of mercy. That means what I do in response has to match what was done. It doesn't mean if you punch me, I kill you and then we're even. It doesn't work. My brothers always thought that's how it should be. If I hit you once, uh, then I'm going to hit you 47 times. No, that's not. I got to get even. I gotta, that's not getting even. That's getting ahead. And what happens? The Hatfield and McCoy, right? When God is revealing his plan for his children, he does what we see in Scripture uh, as progressive revelation. Okay? God doesn't reveal the end at the beginning any more than we do when we raise our children. When we raise our children and they're young, there are certain things that they get away with that they won't get away with when they're older. Right? And we progressively reveal to our children the plan on how this is how you behave, this is how you act, and it is relative to their age. As they grow in understanding, we require more. God does the same thing here. Now, the God never laid out and said, this is how you will have the deal. There will be the manslayer who will go and kill the other person. That was already part of society. A result of the fall. The manslayer, every country did it the same way. If you did something to me, they would pick the nearest of kin and he would hunt you down until he got back revenge. You think it's different today? Oh, we don't do anything like that. Really? Turn on the news. What happened? Uh, uh, this gang just killed somebody from that gang. So what happens next? That gang's going to kill somebody else. And then what happens? That gang's going to kill somebody else. And you end up with gang warfare. Why? Because they've never grown up and realize that that's not how we ought to behave. So God is going to control it with the cities of refuge. That means when the manslayer, something happens, somebody is hurt, he's, he, he's, he's injured, he's died, this guy can go to a city of refuge. And in the city of refuge, he will receive trial. If he finds out that he's not guilty of murder, but of manslaughter, he can live in that city of refuge and always be safe from the manslayer. If he leaves the city of refuge... The manslayer can get him wherever he has left, if he has left that city of refuge. He's going to stay in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest, at which time he is set free. He can go wherever he wants to go. Kind of a strange plan. But when we see these strange plans in the scripture, what is it that Jesus said? It is these that speak of me. That no matter where we are, we can always get to our refuge. Well, the book of Hebrews says that Jesus is our refuge. He's our city of refuge, the place where we go to find forgiveness, to live. Only the good news is, he's also our high priest, and when is he going to die? Never. So we find that refuge in him. As we look at these cities of refuge, 
Understand that picture. Understand the plan of what God is doing with them. Verse 7, he says, So all the cities you will give to the Levites will be 48. And these you shall give with their common land. In the cities which you, shall, which you give shall be the possession of the children of Israel. From the larger tribe you will give many. From the smaller you will give few. Each shall give some of its cities to the Levites in proportion to the inheritance that each receives. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you will appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. They shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. Keep in mind, there was no trials at this point. So if you had been working with a guy, something went wrong, and he's killed, his nearest of kin could kill you. No trial, nobody looking into it, nobody checking and seeing what really happened. That's how they conducted life. God says, no, you can run to the city of refuge, and at the city of refuge, you can have a trial. He's going to explain to them what the difference is between murder and manslaughter, and that murder stains the land, and when murder is not properly dealt with, that it brings, it brings a poison, if you will, into the land that, that God wants them to deal with. But manslaughter was to be treated in a different way. And so the Lord lays these things out as we go through. The cities that you will give will be six cities of refuge. Verse 14, you will appoint three cities on this side of the Jordan. Three cities you shall appoint uh, in the land of Canaan, which will be cities of refuge. These six cities will be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger, for the sojourner among them. Uh, Anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. But if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he's a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. It's interesting because they did a study. And the study showed for every time the death penalty is carried out, you uh, save 18 others as a result, as a deterrent. So each one death penalty stops 18 others. 18 others are set. The Lord lays out for us that there is supposed to be capital punishment. We find it in the scriptures. You'll find it not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New. As we take a look, he says, if he strikes him with an iron implement, God says, intent. If you pick up a big old iron pole and bash somebody with it, you're trying to kill them. So that's murder. But he goes on to lay it out for him. If he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die, and he does die, he's a murderer. If he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon by which one could die, and he dies, he's a murderer. The avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he will put him to death. If he pushes him out of hatred or while lying in in wait, hurls something at him so that he dies... Or in enmity strikes him with his hand so that he dies. The one who struck him will surely be put to death. He's a murderer. Verse 22. However, if he pushes him suddenly without enmity, or throws anything at him without lying in wait, or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him without seeing him so that he dies, while he was not his enemy or seeking his harm, 
Then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. So the congregation shall will deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he had fled, and he will remain there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. But if the manslayer at any time goes outside the, the limits of the city of refuge where he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of the city of refuge, the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood. What's he talking about? Well, listen, we find our salvation in one place. Where is that at? Jesus Christ. If we try to find salvation by acts of the law, by doing works of the law, that's leaving the city of refuge and trying to work it out ourselves. And when we do, what does the law show us? The law shows us to be sinners. shows us to be guilty. To be guilty, it brings us condemnation. There is only salvation in one place. In our refuge. Our refuge is Jesus Christ. He is our city of refuge. He is that uh, through which we find life. Verse 29, he goes on. And these things will be a statute of judgment to you throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Whoever kills a person, the murderer will be put to death on the testimony of witnesses. One witness is not sufficient testimony against a person for the death penalty. One person cannot accuse. There had to be two or three. Had to be two or three witnesses. That was how a matter was established. And that was whether or not the death penalty could be carried out. So in essence, God is providing them with rule of law of how to deal with these situations that was different from the way all the people around them would deal with them. Just if someone kills you, go kill them. Someone does something to you, go do worse to them so they don't do it again. Here the Lord says this is how it's going to be conducted. He goes on in verse 32, You will take no ransom from him who has fled the city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the priest. And you will not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that was shed on it, except the blood of him who shed it. You remember when Cain killed Abel, what is it the Lord said? The blood of your brother cries out to me from the ground. The ground has been defiled by murder. Oh, well, well, how's that set for our nation? Because we are the most violent, most bloodthirsty nation on the face of the planet. I, I don't care what third world you want to point to. We are the worst. Worst of the worst. Most violent. Everywhere you go, people are way more afraid to come here than they are for us to be there. You go to Israel and they're like, man, I'm so happy to be safe here in Israel. If I was in the United States, I mean, you guys are killing people right and left. Isn't that what's all over the news? Do you remember a day when you turned on news and somebody didn't get killed somewhere? Somebody wasn't murdered somewhere else? And what happens to all those people? All that blood defiling the land. What happens to them all? Do we deal with them all? We write them off because, well, you know what? They had a hard childhood and so we're just going to let this one go. We're going to cut them loose. The Lord lays out for us that the land is defiled and cannot be cleansed except by the one who shed that blood in the first place. Therefore, do not defile the land which you inhabit. 
in the midst of which I dwell. For I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. Who was in the middle of their camp? God. The tabernacle was there. The presence of God was with them. When they built the temple, he moved into the temple. But God was in their midst. And he said, hey, I'm a holy God. This is a holy place. We're not going to have this stuff. Here's how you're going to deal with it. And he established for them cities of refuge. Then he goes on in chapter 36. We see something that we've already talked about before that uh, is going to come around full circle. Let's look. Now the chief fathers of the families of the children of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, the families of the sons of Joseph, they came near and spoke to Moses before the leaders, the chief fathers of the children of Israel. And they said, The Lord commanded my Lord Moses to give the land as an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of our brother Zelophad to his daughters. You remember that? You remember that Zelophad's daughter said, Hey, my, our dad had no sons, and we're not going to inherit any land because we're not male. And God said, That's not right. We'll give the inheritance to the girls. This is how it'll work. You realize that that never happened in any other society. Right? You realize that there was zero rights for women everywhere else on the face of the planet Earth at that time. That God's the first one who said, yeah, this is right. We give the inheritance to the girls. We're going to take care of them. Make sure that they have what, what would have gone to their brothers. If there's no men in the family, it's going to go to the daughters. It'll pass on through them. And so we see God make that. Now these guys are coming to him and saying, but God, there's a, pr- a problem. There's a problem with it. Here's what they say in verse 3. Now if they are married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the children of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our fathers. And it will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry, so it will be taken from the lot of our inheritance. He says, well, these are girls. And if they marry from some other tribe, then the land that they own is going to be transferred to this other tribe And at the year of Jubilee, it won't come back. We lose land. We're going to lose the land if the girls girls have the inheritance and this is what they choose to do. So how are we going to solve this? So when the girls came, the Lord laid it out so that they could have the inheritance. Now they're saying, well, how's this going to work if they marry outside of their tribe? Well, verse 4, when the Jubilee of the children of Israel comes... And their inheritance will be added in the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. So their inheritance will be taken away from our inheritance. And Moses commanded the children of Israel, according to the word of the Lord, saying, What the tribe of the sons of Joseph speaks is right. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zeliophad, saying, Let them marry whom they think best. But they may marry only within the family of their father's tribe. So the inheritance of the children of Israel will not change hands from tribe to tribe. For every one of the children of Israel will keep the inheritance of the tribe of his father. So the Lord lays it out that the land, if they marry, will follow through the tribe of their father, will, will retain so when, if they married outside the tribe, they would lose their inheritance of their father's land. And it would remain among the tribe it started at. 
But if they marry within the tribe, then they, they keep the land. It transfers over uh, with them as they go. It was their choice if they wanted to marry outside. They gave up the land so it would stay within the tribe. If they married within that tribe, then it stayed within their family. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be the wife of one of the family of her father's tribe, so that the children of Israel may each may possess the inheritance of his father's. Thus no inheritance will change hands from one tribe to another, but every tribe of the children of Israel will keep its own inheritance. So this is how the Lord worked it out, so that they would stay within the tribe. So when the girls had the problem, God met their need, made sure that they had their inheritance. When others looked and said, well, that inheritance can move outside the tribe and we'll, as a tribe, lose the inheritance that we've gained in the land. Then the Lord said, if they marry outside the tribe, they leave the land and they take the land of the men that they marry. If they marry within the tribe, then they'll retain that family that, or, or that heritage of the land so that they can pass that land uh, still within that tribe. Then, just as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the, the daughters of Zelophehad. Mala, Terza, Hagla, Milka, Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad were married to the sons of their father's brother. So they married within the tribe and the land stayed within the tribe. They were married into the families of the children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of their father's family. And these are the commandments and the judgments which the Lord commanded the children of Israel by the hand of Moses in the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, across from Jericho. And the book of the wilderness is complete. Next we enter into the book of Deuteronomy, which is several, basically it's Moses' last words to the children of Israel. Hey, you guys are getting ready to go across. You know, it's like uh, anytime you have someone leaving their last will and testament, this is the last thing I want to share, the last thing I want to say, this is Moses' words as we go through the book of Deuteronomy and then on into the conquest in the book of, of Joshua. So, <clears throat> exciting things coming. Our prayer for us tonight and as we move forward is that just like we did tonight, you and I choose to walk out of the wilderness. Some people spend their whole relationship with the Lord in the wilderness, right? We don't progress. We're not moving forward. We're not wanting all that God has. We're not pressing into the Lord and desiring and believing in the face of our giants that God's going to deliver as we look back at what He's done. Don't let the lessons of numbers just fade away out of your mind as we continue to just do things as we always have. We need to apply. I don't want to walk around in Bemidbar. I don't want to walk around in the desert saying, Where's my water? Where's my food? Where's this? Where's that? Oh, Lord, I'm going to perish. I want to move forward. I want to move beyond that. I want to be the two, right? Joshua and Caleb. Not the other two million who were unwilling. So let the lessons of those things be in our heart. That's what we want. Progress with the Lord. Have everything that He has for us. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for this opportunity that we have to come and, uh, and worship, Lord God, and to study. And Lord, we do thank you for the book of Numbers and all the lessons, Lord Jesus, that you lay out for us there. God, may it be the cry of our heart that says, I do not want to spend my life in the wilderness. I want to go to the promised land. I don't want to spend my life constantly struggling over the the little things. I want to enter into that victorious Christian walk, the abundant life that Jesus promised, the abundant life that Paul lived, a life that would not quit, that never gave up, that constantly was facing the next battle and overcoming. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would just grant unto us the strength the foresight, the desire, Lord, to say, I want everything that you have for me. And when I face those struggles, I don't want to make the mistake they made at Kadesh Barnea. I want to say, we can overcome. For greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. The battles are still here. We still will fight. But God has already won the victory. We don't have to worry about what's going to happen. Will we be destroyed? It's not going to work out. You've won the victory. Lord, let us fight from victory and possess everything that you have for us to possess. Lord, we ask your blessing, Father, as we seek your touch. Lord, we lift up those whom we love. Father, we pray for Jeannie. Reynolds, that you would bring healing for Stacy and Corey, that you would strengthen them in Oregon and heal her body. Even now, Lord Jesus, that uh, the, her organs would begin working. She would continue day by day the healing process and come home. Lord, we pray for for David Plue Jr. and his surgery on his two broken feet. And Lord, we pray, God, that you would give him uh, victory over the pain and that he would be able to continue to heal that he might get back to work for his family we thank you for janet's surgery being a success lord and in god your hand being with her on her watching over and keeping her lord god there's never ending supply of battles laid out before us make us inventory takers We see what you have done, and it's enough. And we want to respond by possessing that which you've already accomplished. So God, give us, your people, the victory as we seek to give you the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.